Hey, in the Cockrell household, we are big Dude Perfect fans. Any Dude Perfect fans here this morning? All right, we have a few. If you don't know who Dude Perfect is, they're a group of five guys that uh, I think they all met in college, and they have done these trick shot videos on YouTube. And as far as I know, I think they're still the most, their channel is the most subscribed to channel on YouTube. And they've made quite a business for themselves doing this. Um, they have a whole trick shot factory. I believe it's in Texas. And they actually have a tour they're going on. And little do my boys know, but Mary and I are taking them to go see Dude Perfect in Columbus here in July. So they're going to be so pumped up when they find out about it. Um, one of the, <laughs> another thing that they do is they make these hilarious stereotype videos of different sports. So there's a basketball one that is so funny. Uh, there's also a golf one. And what makes them so funny is if you've ever played golf or basketball, whatever sport they're highlighting, you have met the people, you have played with the people that they're stereotyping. And at some point, you were probably one of those stereotypes. And that's what makes it just so funny. Uh, let's check out a clip of the golf stereotype video. Woo! That's gone. I'll totally find that. What? Here it is! <laughs> Woo! You ain't finding it. Got it! I'm gonna drop it back and hit it. See ya, ball. You'll just bring the cart. Hey, I found it. it! It hit the trees and bounced out! Yeah, I'm chipping for Eagle! You sit on a throne of lies, you scumbag! Hey, I'm playing golf! Just trying to play around! Any day now. A couple more swings and I'm good. You good? <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. Are you kidding? I should have done another practice swing. <laughs> Man, sure dug one heck of a divot. Ah, uh, it'll grow back. Yeah, in a year. <laughs> Sorry, I might have got a little close there. Uh, I'm about to hit this three hundo. Oh, that's got to be frustrating. No, you got to hit that where it lies. You can't tee that up again. You ever <laughs> read a rule book? <laughs> oh, that does not count. Yeah. That doesn't count. Double bogey. Dude, no. Think about it. <laughs> Driver off the tee box. Oh, Th this is me. Water. So then I'm back line three. Yeah. Chipped on. I mean, yeah. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Double bogey. That's what I was going to say. I, for <laughs> I just forgot about that duck. Dang, thought I had a par. Good round, fellas. Yeah, great nice round. Job. This is yeah, me, too. Come it. I left my pitching wedge on 17. Are you kidding? I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> So we love watching these. That's just a portion of the whole golf stereotype video, but there's many, many more. Um, the reason why I showed this particular video in this portion is because in two of the stereotypes, there is deceit involved. The magically finds his ball every time guy, 
and the untrustworthy scorekeeper, right? They both involve dishonesty. And it's a reminder that we live in a world that is full of spin doctors. We live in a world where people are always bending the truth, concealing the truth, misrepresenting the truth, all in an attempt to manipulate people so that they can get what they want. This is the world we live in. Deception, it is everywhere. It's on the golf course. It's in the fishing stories that we tell. It's in the corporate world. Half-truths, white lies, these are the sort of things that office politics thrive on. Uh, That's why organizational health expert Patrick Lencioni, the first thing he does when he works with any organization or corporation is he deals with trust on the leadership team. Because if there is mistrust, that organization is going to have a hard time being successful. We see dishonesty in the pharmaceutical world. One reason that we're in the midst of an opioid crisis is because of false marketing. In 1995, oxycodone, uh, I don't know how you say it. I always say oxycotton is what I always say. Anyways, you know what I'm talking about. It was produced by a pharmaceutical company called Purdue Pharma in 1995, and it was approved by the USA, you know, uh, FDA, uh, Food and Drug Administration. In 1998, what Purdue Pharma did is they aggressively promoted and marketed this drug. And their main promotional material was this video titled, I Got My Life Back. And what it did is it followed six patients who were treated uh, with oxycotton, I'll say, and they, for chronic non-cancer pain. And the video highlighted the lack of side effects of this drug. The result was that the annual number of prescriptions for OxyContin increased from 670,000 to 6.2 million between 1997 and 2002. And the total number of opioid prescriptions increased by 45 million. In 2007, uh, a federal court found that Purdue Pharma, their, their promotional material provided false information about the addiction potential of OxyContin, and they find them $634.5 million. Perhaps there's, perhaps the greatest arena for deception is the political arena. Politicians are notorious for being two-faced, right? Our country has just gone through the, the Mueller investigation, And the subsequent report that came out on that, which was looking at if President Trump worked in an unlawful way with Russia. And now there are people trying to get a hold of Trump's financial records because there's some concern about some of his legal entities if they've done some shady, unlawful uh, business and committed financial crimes. Lies are so prevalent in the political world that we have entire organizations dedicated to fact-checking our politicians. That's crazy. That is crazy to me. 
And then there is the lying that goes on in the collegiate world. Think about what has just happened with these wealthy, famous parents who falsified all kinds of information. They work with this guy who falsified all kinds of information about their kids to get them into elite schools, like saying they played, I think it was like lacrosse and never played lacrosse at all, like just crazy stuff. And we could keep going on, couldn't we, with examples of how lies and deception has infiltrated every nook and cranny of our world. Lying has become so commonplace that it is actually viewed as not bad, that there's nothing wrong with it. It's just like this thing that you need to do to get ahead. It's part of being considered savvy. It's part of being considered a shaker and a mover. That's how you get things done. Everyone's lying anyways, right? For many, this this poison of lying is not only out there in the world, but it's right inside their home. It's right inside their marriage. Spouses lying to each other about their activities, about their feelings, about their spending, about their relationships with the opposite sex. Their work, and the list goes on. If you can't trust the person you're sleeping next to, who can you trust? No wonder people feel like they can't trust anyone. That is the general feeling of Americans. Nobody can be trusted. And of course, the enemy absolutely loves all of this dishonesty. Because when we engage in it, we're aligning ourselves with him. Who the scripture says was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so what did, what? and this whole lying thing, obviously, it's been going on forever. So what does Jesus have to say about truth-telling in a lying world? What does he have to say about this? Pray with me, and then we're going to check out what he has to say. Lord Jesus, we are thankful that you are full of grace and truth. We are thankful that through knowing you, we can know ourselves. And in in you is found all wisdom, all knowledge. And that connected to you, we can tap into that knowledge and wisdom. And we can live in the best ways possible for you know what they are. Lord, I pray that as we look, as we continue to look at your greatest teaching, your Sermon on the Mount, that we would catch a glimpse of how your kingdom operates, how you operate, and how we can live and operate as we are connected to you through faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here's the portion of scripture I'm going to read to you. Matthew 5, 33 through 37. So Jesus is preaching the greatest message ever, and he's covered a lot of things, and now he hones in on this here. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is 
it, for it is his footstool. Nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Early on in my walk with Jesus, I remember reading this passage and just thinking, boy, if everyone could just follow these verses, it would radically change, change the landscape of our world. If people would just make their yes a yes and their no a no, if people would just be honest and follow through on their commitments, this world would be turned upside down. Just this one teaching. But as I already mentioned, and our experience bears witness to this fact, this isn't the case. Nor was it in Jesus' day. You know, the Old Testament encouraged people to, to make oaths in God's name. It encouraged people to do that. Moses said to the Israelite people who God had just rescued out of Egypt, he said to them in Deuteronomy 10, 20 through 21, You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. He is your praise and he is your God who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. Regarding the evil nations that were bearing down on the Israelite people, God said through the prophet Jeremiah this in Jeremiah twelve sixteen, And it shall be if they will learn carefully the ways of my people to swear by my name as the Lord lives, as they, as they taught my people to swear by Baal, then they shall be established in the midst of my people. So we see God encouraging his people to make promises, oaths, in his name. Now, what was discouraged is breaking those promises. Leviticus 9, 11, and 12 says, You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. And then Numbers 32 said, if a, if a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Now, here's the interesting thing. Somewhere along the line, the Jewish religious teachers and leaders, they got this idea that you only had to keep your promise to someone if you swore by God's name or if you somehow implied God's name in your promise. But if you didn't, you were free not to keep the promise. Actually, the Mishnah, which is uh, an ancient piece of writing in which the, the rabbis of old, they wrote down how they thought God's Old Testament laws were to be observed. And they had a whole detailed section of when you were required to perform your oath and when you were not. One rabbi taught this, that if you swore by Jerusalem, you didn't have to keep your promise. But if you swore towards Jerusalem, you had to keep it. As if swearing towards Jerusalem somehow implied God, but, but, but swearing by it didn't imply God. If that's not confusing, I don't know what is confusing. 
And what this led to was a whole bunch of people convincing others that they were going to do something that they had never planned on doing. They had no intentions on doing it. And they didn't feel guilty about it because in their mind, they never implied God when they made the promise. You know, it's similar to someone today saying, oh, I pinky swear or cross my heart and hope to die or on my mother's grave, but having their fingers crossed behind their back, right? And since they had their fingers crossed behind their back, they're not responsible for keeping their promise. It's okay if they don't. This is the situation that Jesus spoke into. What did he have to say? Well, the first thing that he taught the people was, look, this idea that if you don't imply God in your promise, you're free then to not keep it, that's garbage. And Jesus makes the point by saying, look, if you swear by heaven, guess what? God lives there. If you swear by the earth, guess what? That's his footstool. If you swear by your head, guess what? God made you. He owns you. And so what Jesus was saying, that no matter what you swore by, it was all connected to God. And therefore, you were responsible to God and before God to keep that promise. Every person, place, or thing comes from the Lord. And so when you swear by anything at all, you bring God into it. You bring him into it. It's impossible to swear by anything that doesn't involve God, so your promises always do involve him. And you know what this revealed about the religious leaders and many of the Jews in Jesus' day? That they were even coming up with this system of when your oath was binding and when it was not? You know what this revealed is their sinful hearts. Hearts that didn't love the truth. Hearts that were willing to manipulate people for their selfish gain. Hearts that were willing to lie to get what they wanted. Hearts that wanted to do wrong but wanted to feel justified in doing it. Hearts that were far from the heart of God. Look, a sinful heart is always looking to do the bare minimum. A sinful heart is always looking to do the bare minimum. It's always asking, what's the least amount of good that I have to do in order to still be blessed, in order for things to still go well with me? For the sinful heart, God's ways are a duty and not a delight. They're always looking for loopholes, always looking for shortcuts to blessing. Well, if I do this, then technically I wouldn't be wrong and God would still be obligated to bless me. Look, this sort of thinking does not come from a heart of love for God and and a love for others. It comes from this love of self. And so I ask you, in your walk with Jesus, are you constantly asking, what's the bare minimum I have to do? Not just in the area of truth-telling and following through on what you said you were going to do, but in other areas of your life. What does that reveal? It reveals a heart that is not aligned to the heart of God. 
And that is why Jesus said, look, my people, they will not even swear at all. People living in my kingdom with my kingdom power, they won't swear at all. If they're living under my good, righteous rule, and they have the Holy Spirit animating them, they're not going to be looking for ways to make promises, but get, you know, have a back door to get out of that promise if they need to. They won't operate that way. They won't be looking for ways to make lying okay. They won't look for ways to justify their lying, which if you think about it, is just lying to yourself. They won't look for ways to manipulate people to get what they want or to avoid what they don't want. They will be honest even if it costs them. You know, there's another way that I believe the religious leaders and the Jewish people of Jesus' day were using swearing to manipulate people to get what they want. And I think Jesus was speaking against this form of swearing as well. What was it? Instead of swearing by some object or thing, sometimes people, or often people would, as a way of getting other people to believe them, swear and, and make promises as a way of manipulating people to believe them. even Because sometimes they were actually going to do what they said they were going to do, but in order to get buy-in and belief from the person that they were saying this to, they would often you know, make these flowery promises, swearing by different things to get this person to believe them. And this happens all the time today. You hear people say, I promise, or honestly, or you can trust me. You know what they're trying to do is they're trying to circumvent your judgment and your will, and they're putting pressure on you to accept what they're saying. They're appealing to your emotions. It's, you know, a person that uses this strategy uses it because they are not often trustworthy and they know it. And they know that if you are free to consider the facts and the data about them, you're not going to trust them. You're not going to believe what they're saying. And so they have to swear by these things in order to get your buy-in. And so they try and impress you with their sincerity and their reliability. How many times have your kids done this to you? I promise. I, I swear, Dad, I won't. You can trust me. When you are out buying a car and you're dealing with a salesperson, and they repeatedly say, I'm being honest, or... If I were you, I would go with, honestly, if I were you, I, you know, or I promise this, this will be a great fit for you. If they're repeatedly making statements about their own trustworthiness and their honesty, what are they really communicating? Don't trust me. Don't trust me. That's what they're communicating. They're basically saying this. Normally, I am not trustworthy. I'm typically like the fake Santa on the elf. I sit on a throne of lies, right? 
But in this particular case, I'm being honest. So trust me. Now, a person that's living in God's kingdom, under God's righteous rule, animated by the power of God, will not give you this type of song and dance. A follower that is fueled by the Holy Spirit will be marked with such honesty and integrity that they won't even think about having to prove their credibility to you. They will carry themselves in a way that will demand your respect. Their reputation will precede them. They will not try and convince you. They will just convey to you. And if you don't believe them, guess what? They'll trust the situation and the outcomes and the results to God. That's what they'll do. They won't be bent on manipulating you. And so we have to ask the question, because we've got to get to the bottom of this. Why do we lie? Why do we lie? I told Brandon before the service, I feel like God's given me a lot of grace in this area, in honesty. And my friends know that if they come and they ask me a question, I will be honest with them. I will tell them what I think. I lied a week and a half ago. I couldn't believe it. Check this out. So I get uh, work done on my neck because I have just chronic neck pain. And I was talking to my physical therapist, and he said, have you been doing the exercises? <laughs> yeah, I've been doing the exercises. I could not believe it. Why did I choose a lie? I walked out of there just so convicted, like, holy moly. Why did I lie? Why do you lie? Well, to manipulate people to get what you want or to avoid what you don't want. Which means there is something that you desire greatly. So much so that you're willing, if honesty won't work, you're willing to lie to get it. For most people, when they're lying, and I think it was my case, when I lied to the physical therapist, I wanted to maintain a certain reputation or image. I think that's why most of us lie. That matters so much to us, what people think about us, what our image is to others, that we are willing to lie to either maintain it or secure a certain image for ourselves. And so we exaggerate our accomplishments or we downplay our failures. We fear that if people really knew the truth about us, they would reject us. Often we lie not so much about to maintain a particular image, but maybe I think this is related. It's because we want to please people. And therefore, we're not willing to be honest with them. Because we fear if, that we're, if we're honest with them, we may upset them, and then they will no longer like us. You know, the truth often hurts, but you know what hurts more? Lies. Lies. 
in the long run, deceit always does far more damage. Another reason we lie is because we're addicted to pleasure and comfort. If we've screwed up, we don't want to experience the uncomfortable consequences of our misfailings. And so we lie about them to avoid that discomfort. Sometimes we lie because we seek financial gain. We lie on our taxes. We lie to our customers. We lie on our life, insur- life insurance examination so we don't have to pay our higher rate. I was convicted of this. We lie and we share Netflix accounts, YouTube account, whatever. That is lying. I have to rectify that in my life. Sometimes we lie to gain a strategic advantage over someone. And so we can achieve more than them. We withhold information that if they had, it would make them successful. We tell lies to misdirect them. You see, I say all this to tell you that what lies underneath your lying is idolatry. In that moment when we are lying, we have elevated something so highly in our hearts that we're willing to lie to get it. Idolatry is the sin underneath the sin of lying. And guess what? Idolatry itself is a lie. It is the lie that a real, vibrant, abundant life can be found in things and people apart from God. This is the lie that drives all other lies. Martin Luther said this, The sin underneath all of our sins is to trust the lie of the serpent that we cannot trust the love and grace of Christ and must take matters into our own hands. When we lie, we are not trusting Christ. We are taking matters into our own hands. We are striving to make things happen for ourselves. We're we're not trusting in God's sovereignty. We're trusting in ours. We overestimate our ability. We overestimate our limitations. Or underestimate our limitations. And even though, as Jesus tells us, we don't have the power to turn one of our hairs gray or black or white or any color at all, (laughs) we think that we can manufacture for ourselves the good life by lying. We are not trusting that if we live in the honest ways of God's kingdom, things will go well, that things that we will get what we desire and what we need. And if we start taking matters into our own hands, we start using people. We start to manipulate them for selfish gain. And, of course, this is the very opposite of love for God and love for others. But not so with the person living in the kingdom connected to Jesus. They're going to be so secure in God's view of them, his provision for them, his protection over them, that lying will become less and less and less appealing to them. They will not strive to take matters into their own hands. They're not going to feel this pressure to please people. 
They're not going to feel this pressure to maintain this image. And of course, they won't have to experience the consequences that come with lying. Lying will kill your relationships. Mistrust is an intimacy killer. And once trust is broken, it's so hard to get back. And so the question is, and I'll end with this, how do we become an honest person? How do we become an honest person? we got to abide in Jesus. That is the starting point. When we spend time with him, he starts reworking us from the inside out. He securely attaches ourselves to himself. And we become united with him. And he kills that part of us that wants to keep up appearances and wants to have the success and achievement at all costs and wants to have financial gain at all costs. And he kills that compulsion that we have within us to lie to make these things all happen. We start to love the truth, pursue the truth. We start to desire that truth for other people because it is in Christ that we find the truth and that truth sets us free. Here's another thing we must do if we are going to become a habitually honest person. We have to train with Jesus. We have to be with him and we have to train with him. And the training looks like this. We take baby steps in this direction. So the next time that we are tempted to exaggerate something, we catch ourselves and we say, no, wait a minute, this is actually. And the next time we lie to our physical therapist, we catch ourselves right away and we say, sorry, you know what, I haven't been doing those and I need to start doing those exercises. And it's in these little things that we train with Jesus. And as we train with Jesus in these little things, then we're going to be able to be honest when it's difficult and it's pressure-packed and there's a lot at stake, to be honest. We will naturally become these people that just honesty oozes out of them. We don't even have to think about it. And so I asked you this morning to take a look at yourself. Does honesty naturally flow out of you? In difficult situations, when honesty will cost you, do you choose honesty over getting what you want? Or are you a person that naturally exaggerates to make yourself look better? Do you tell white lies quite easily? Do you have a consistent pattern of making promises that you don't keep? Do you often lack follow-through? Do you struggle to be transparent and vulnerable with others? Because that's just a, a form of deception. Are you quick to justify your actions? In other words, lie to yourself? Are you a person that often seeks to manipulate others by putting pressure on them, by I promise, or honestly, or 
Think about this past week. Did you tell any lies? If you did, what was the idol on the throne of your heart when you made that decision to lie? What was the sin beneath the sin? What were you desiring so badly that lying seemed okay? What's your plan to abide in Jesus? What's your plan to train with him so that honesty becomes something that just oozes out of you naturally? We have to live this way. Because this is how we represent Jesus to a lying world who is full of grace and truth. And if we sit on a throne of lies, why would anybody want this Jesus we proclaim? Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your mercy and grace. We are often so quick to justify ourselves. We're often so quick to bend the truth, to exaggerate. And that all boils down to because we, there, there, there's something in our heart that we are saying we have to have. And so we're willing to lie to get it. Lord, I pray that you would break us of our idols. Lord, I pray that we would see that real joy and happiness and contentment and peace is found in relationship to you, with you on the throne of our hearts, with you being the master of our lives. Everything else is just a mirage in the desert. Lord, I pray for myself and for the people here that they would be Honest, 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 through and through. With the little things and with the big things, even when it's personally going to cost them. And Lord, I pray that if anybody here is living a lie, that they would come clean. That they would come in truth to the people that they've been lying to. That they would stop Living in that way, which is such an exhausting way to live. Because lying just leads to more lies, and it takes so much energy to keep that all going. Lord, I pray that they would find freedom in you. That you would bring healing to their relationships. That you would rebuild the trust that has been broken. We know that it's only by your power, your spirit, that we can do these things. It's in Jesus' name we pray.